Well, good morning. What is up, Substance? Make some noise. Welcome to church. You made it. Let's just welcome our downtown campus, West Side, Monterey, Mexico, online. We love you guys. We're so glad that we can all be one church, many locations, and I don't know about you, but I am excited to share God's word with you today. My husband, Peter, and I, we planted this church 19 years ago, and our goal has always been that the Bible would not just be something we read, but it would be something that transforms our everyday life, that it's not just a philosophy or a nice poetry, but that these, this book is alive, and we want it to transform our lives. The other reason why we moved here to plant substance is because there are millions of people in this city who do not know. Jesus, who do not go to church, who do not know that church can be fun, that church can be encouraging and life-giving, not boring and oppressive, right? And so we wanted people to know that, hey, you can come to church and you can actually experience God's peace. You can actually experience God's life and healing in small groups. And so many of you know that we planted through an organization called The Ark, the Association of Related Churches. And it's actually an incredible organization that gives startup capital to plant life-giving churches all around the United States and globally. And so we were our church plant number 15 back 19 years ago. Well, as of this last Sunday, ARC has literally planted 1,089 churches. Isn't that incredible? Last Sunday, there were seven new ones that, that were all over the United States, and we just got the recent stats in. Of those seven churches, 2,150 people came, and of those people that came for the first Sunday, 76 people gave their lives to Christ. First time decisions for Christ. Isn't that crazy? So, and then today, right now, four more churches are launching in the United States through the Ark. And so it's just fun that we get to be a part of this. This last weekend, I got to spend some time with a church plant in Des Moines, Iowa, that we helped plant. They planted through the Ark. They were our church plant number 515. So they're eight years old now. And so I sat down with their leadership team on Friday, and it was just so fun because two of their leaders came up to me afterwards, and they just said, Pastor Carolyn, we just have to thank you. We gave our lives to Christ at Substance in Minneapolis, and then God took us on a journey, moved us to Des Moines, Iowa, and now we're a part of Summit Creek Church. So isn't that just fun to hear? I want you guys to hear what you get to be a part of because you're making this happen. This is part of your investment here at Substance. At part of every dollar, 2% of every dollar that comes in literally goes right back out to plant churches all around the United States and all around the world. So the other thing that we've been involved in is Art Global. So we have traveled to China, Ireland, South Africa, Canada, really helping encourage pastors, church planting movements. In fact, Pastor Nate Pacini, our executive, just got back. He was literally in South Africa for two weeks. He preached 17 times in four different churches, did a conference, literally helping Ark in South Africa. And today, right now, both Pastor Peter and Pastor Nate are in England, and they are are preaching, they're doing ARC roundtables, they're really kicking off. ARC asked them, would you go to England and would you kick off a roundtable and, and ARC UK? And so they're really doing some incredible things in the UK and then they're flying to Germany this week and they're doing a really cool um, pastors conference that pastors are coming, literally representing over a thousand churches in Germany are coming. So it's a big week this week, so I just wanted to mention that A, this is what we get to be a part of, but also let's pray for our pastors. You know, we are passionate about reaching people for Jesus. I love what Acts 4.20 says. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And that's what we do. We're not going on vacations. We're not going on these travel trips. These are like jet lag, sickness, exhaustion, adrenaline, preaching. But I'm telling you, we can't help it. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. 
In my mind, there's not enough people that know Jesus. There's not enough life-giving churches out there. And so that's why I'm just so excited to be a part of that. But let's just take a moment. Let's pray for our pastors. If you'd bow your heads with me. God, I just thank you for Pastor Peter and Pastor Nate. And I just thank you that you are with them right now in England. And I just ask that this missionary journey that they're on, that you would just breathe your life, your spirit. I just pray for miracles. I just pray that you would just spark something so new on the Europe, just all over Europe, your spirit, that you would reveal yourself. I thank you for their obedience on this trip. And we just speak to their physical bodies. We just say, let there be life. Let there be wholeness. Let there be grace to do what you've called them to do. Lord, I just thank you for all the small groups that are launching here at Substance. I just thank you that you are bringing about transformation and healing in each of our lives. I just thank you for what you're doing in Monterey, Mexico. I just thank you for what you're doing at our West Side campus, our downtown, here at Northtown. Lord, I just thank you that we don't have to be isolated and alone, but we can actually come together and experience your word and your encouragement and your presence and your healing as a community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go. Well, I can't wait to dive into the Bible today with you, but let me ask you this question first. How many of you know your comfort zone is the greatest enemy to God's miracle zone? Let me say that again. Your comfort zone is the greatest enemy to God's miracle zone. God wants to do something in your life but it often requires some discomfort. Your comfort zone is also, I would say, the enemy, it's the greatest enemy to God's joy in your life. Listen, God wants you to be blessed. He loves us to be blessed, but blessing usually requires strategic discomfort. In fact, it's safe to say everything good that has happened in this church came because someone embraced strategic discomfort. Someone got up early to clean the building. Someone got up early to set up tear down. Someone got up to do worship rehearsal, to greet, make coffee, be with your kids, prepare the lesson. Like, listen, we are here today experiencing joy and peace because of someone's strategic discomfort. You know, last week, Pastor Peter talked on prayer, and I love what he talked about. He just said how prayer is not a life vest, it's a lifestyle. And you think about a life vest, like, when do you, I mean, I wear one twice a month, you know, twice in my lifetime. Like, I barely wear a life vest, right? Maybe I'm not on the water. But, like, you know, we don't really wear life vests that often, only if we're in danger, only if it's, you know, kind of a, we need to, we rely upon it because we're in a dangerous space. That's not what prayer is meant to be. Only when we're in danger, we pray. Listen, prayer is meant to be a lifestyle, a daily habit, something that we are talking and listening and then obeying to God. And so as Peter and I were just talking about what should I share to this Sunday, what should I share, like, God, what do you want your people to hear? We just felt so strongly that we're supposed to meditate on Acts chapter 9, and we're going to meditate on the story of Ananias. Let me give you some context here. Acts chapter 9, there was a powerful Jewish Pharisee by the name of Saul. And Saul was convinced that God wanted him to stamp out these people who followed Jesus. They were known as the way. And he thought it was this crazy religious sect. And he's like, I just, we've got to stamp it out. And so literally in Acts chapter 7, he oversaw the death of Stephen. And Stephen was the first person to die for his faith in Jesus. And so Paul sat there, oversaw the whole thing. And then he's like, just started intensely persecuting the followers of Jesus. After hunting down Christians in Jerusalem, he's like, hey, let's take this campaign now to Samaria. Area. Let's just keep going. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, and you can read with me in your Bibles or on the screens. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, 
he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, get into this story with me. This is crazy intense. Can you imagine, if you follow Jesus, male or female, you're gonna get taken as a prisoner to a different city. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul didn't know who this was. So he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And so, so then Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, at that same time, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Then Ananias, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I love that. It's kind of like, hey, I know he caused suffering. He's going to have to suffer too. That's part of his calling. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Oh, I love that story. I love reading the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. But if you've never heard this story before, it might surprise you to find out that this Saul, who was murderous threats and arresting followers of Jesus, becomes the Apostle Paul, who literally writes more than half of the New Testament, is one of the greatest church planters in history, an incredible leader. And I'll never forget, you know, I grew up reading my Bible since I was a kid, but Peter did not know that story. So 31 years ago, when he gave his life to Christ, he started reading his Bible and he started reading the story. And when he found out that Saul became Paul, he was like, shut the heck up. Like, what the heck? Like, it's the same guy? Like, how is it? Like, and I just love that because I, sometimes I think it's so easy to just be like, yep, this is just what happened. Like, no, no, no. Like, do you understand how crazy this is? Put yourself in the story. Imagine if someone is bent on destroying you, your family, and all your friends because of your faith in Jesus. Someone you're afraid of. Someone you might even use the word hate. Someone famous who has a reputation for destruction. And then God turns them into a Bible-believing, miracle-working disciple of Jesus Christ who then gives their life to suffer and preach about Jesus all over the world. Listen to me. I share that because no one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. God desires that all men and women be saved. And there is no one that is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. And he, God is in the business of doing this 
in every city and in every generation. He's in the business of revealing himself. But you know what else I love about this story? Is that God didn't just take the scales off of Saul's eyes. He could have. God can do anything. But he used another human. He used Ananias and said, Ananias, I need you to go over and I need you to pray for him so that he can see and that he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just love that, that God is in the business of using others to bring healing and freedom in our lives. That's why we're constantly asking you, hey, what small group are you in this semester? Hey, can I help you find a small group? What's your schedule? What's your availability? Like, listen, it's not because I need to have a stat sheet of how many church members are in small groups, okay? I care about your healing and your freedom. And I know that there's an Ananias that's at that small group that needs to lay their hands on you and, so that you can see, so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that you can walk in freedom. Or maybe some of you, you're the Ananias that needs to go and get to that small group, get on that ministry team and hear from the Lord and help someone so they can walk in healing and freedom. Listen, no one gets healed in isolation. No one certainly gets encouraged in isolation. But where did it start? It started with prayer. I love Acts 9-11. Let's go back to it. The Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Why did Ananias go? Because Saul was praying. For he was praying. I'm telling you, when we pray, God hears, he responds, and it just shows the mercy of God. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you did. Saul had murdered people, and yet he was sincerely praying and seeking God. And God responds and says, I see him. Yep, he's praying. Let's go, go. And so then he calls Ananias to respond. I just love, I love that it's actually Acts 911, because that's like 911. And I love that Ananias was literally got a home address, like, like a spiritual ambulance, like 911, what's your emergency? You know what I mean? Like that's what God wants to do. I love thinking about it from, from Saul's perspective. So it makes me go, okay, if I'm Saul and I'm now, I've, I've seen Jesus, I'm blind, I haven't eaten. And I, and I love like, how many miracles would God do if we prayed more? If we just prayed more? Like how many miracles would God do? I love that he even knew the guy's name. The Lord said, there's a man named Ananias who's supposed to pray for you. So I'm sure Saul's sitting there praying like, please, Ananias, respond to the call. Please, are you listening? You know what I mean? Like, you know, how crazy is that? Like, what kind of miracles does God want to do if we prayed more? It also makes me think, man, where do I have scales on my eyes? Where does God want to remove the scales Fill me with his spirit so that I can see what God has for me, so I can know the plans he has for me, the call that he has for my life, so I can get that course correction. Saul had the right passionate zeal. He just didn't have the right mission. And this was a moment of God saying, oh, I see your heart, but I gotta, I gotta correct you here. <laughs> like, don't persecute me. I'm gonna have you preach about me now instead. And I just love that. Who needs to come lay hands on me and pray for me so that I can be healed? but it happens when I pray. I can't tell you how many times I have been at my home on my knees saying, God, I need a word, I need a word, I need your help. And I will literally get a text and it will be a word of encouragement that this person didn't know what I was going through and it was exactly what I needed to hear. Like that's the God we serve when we just seek him when we pray. I love to think about the story from, from Ananias' perspective. It makes me wonder how many miracles would God do if we actually listened more? 
if we listened. I mean, the only reason Ananias' name is in this story is because he was praying. And then not just praying, he actually listened, and then he obeyed. Like, he wouldn't, we wouldn't know who Ananias is if he actually didn't obey. And I'm telling you, this has just messed with me. Like, I just feel like we live in a world that everyone's just too busy, and we just think, I'm too busy to pray, I'm too busy to pray. Listen, you're too busy not to pray. And I have, I have a habit of praying every day, multiple times a day, like, I love prayer. But I'm telling you, this passage of Scripture has messed with me. And listen, when we read Scripture, it isn't just like, oh, isn't that nice? That's a great story. Now let's go watch a football game. You know, like, no, we read Scripture so that it transforms our lives and changes our habits. So for the last 10 days, I've been meditating on Acts chapter 9. And I'm telling you, like, I pray a lot, and I pray, I pray a lot. That passage has, I've engaged with it in the last 10 days. I'm praying more. I'm praying more than I was. Because I'm just, I'm challenged. And listen, we can hear God's word, but if we do not do what it says, we are deceived. I, I'm tired. There are so many people who claim to be Christians, and they claim to have knowledge, but their lives are not transformed. And it's easy. All you have to do is actually engage with scripture. Engage with the text. Let it transform you. And then you will not be deceived. I think about my own life and I think about the responsibilities that I have and I just, I'm, I know God is calling me, Carolyn, pray more. Pray more. Like, don't go back to bed, go to prayer. That just happened last week. It was like, I was so tired, I wanted to go back to bed and it was like, no, no, no. You have a lot of stress, you have a lot of responsibilities that you have a lot in your mind. Meet me in prayer. Don't go back to the pillow. Meet. And I did. And as I started praying, God started speaking to me. Like, I'm just telling you, it's that question of, Lord, what assignments do you have for me? What assignments do you want to give me? What answers or provision do you have for me? What is the future that you want me to be a part of? What leaders do you want me to see? You know, a few years ago, we were rebuilding after COVID. And I'm going to be honest, I was really overwhelmed with where we were at in our Substance Kids. Like, our, our Substance Kids team is literally the best. Like, they are the most dynamic. They love your children. They love God. Like, they are, like, that. let's just give it up for our kids' teams right now. Because they are not just babysitting your kids. They are passionately teaching your kids how to love God, how to love his word. They're memorizing scripture. They are praying. They're seeing miracles and answered prayers. In our, and these are the future leaders of every sphere of society is our children and our teenagers right now. And so, but at the time, it's post-COVID. We're getting lots of new families. People are coming back to church. And we, our current team, we were at capacity. We didn't have any more hours in the day, and it was like, we need more leaders. And so I'll never forget, I was in a, in a brainstorming meeting at my conference table, and we're just brainstorming, okay, what do we need? Who and what? And what, what, how can we make it better? And, and so all of a sudden, I was, the Lord reminded me of a scripture in Exodus 31. And it's the context is where Moses was tasked with building the tabernacle. Tabernacle, it's portable. It's, this, it's the worship, it's the place of worship while they were, the Israelites were in the desert. And God gave him very specific blueprints. I mean, really detailed blueprints. And this, this gold here, and this is supposed to be bronze, and then this is supposed to be linen, and this is supposed to have purple dye. I mean, super detailed. And if you study Exodus, you'll see Moses was already kind of overwhelmed as a leader. He was already overwhelmed with the Israelites and all of their complaining. And I mean, it was just a lot for him, right? And so I love that as God is giving him these blueprints for the tabernacle, listen to what God says to Moses. Exodus 31, he said, See, I have chosen Bezalel 
And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs. God knew the work that needed to be done. He knew what he was asking Moses to do. But he said, Moses, I'm not asking you to do all of it. See, I have. And actually, when you study the passage, it's Bezalel and Aholiab. God never just calls one person. He always calls a team, right? So it's Bezalel and Aholiab. And they are filled with the Spirit of God, but they're also filled with creativity, and they've got the skills for artistic designs. I love, see, open your eyes, Moses. I want you to see who, what I see. I want you to see who I see. So in our meeting, we prayed. And I just, I just took that scripture, and I said, Lord, you see what we need in our kids' ministry right now. And I just... There's someone that you want us to see, someone that is filled with the Spirit of God, that is filled with creativity, that has the skills to lead. We just thank you that you're going to show us who that is in Jesus' name, amen. And, you know, I just, I'm going to be honest, I was just being super practical. Like, I just assumed, okay, we're still going to have weeks of brainstorming, and we're going to have more meetings and strategy. But I am telling you, the minute I said in Jesus' name, amen, there was a name and there was a face. Instantly. And I remember I looked at the, the girl I was meeting with, and I was like, hey, I know we said we were going to wait a week and then get, meet back together, but, like, I know who it is. Like, the Lord just showed me the name and face of who is supposed to join our team and who is supposed to help. And I, listen, God brought them to my mind because I prayed and I listened. And it's someone who had been serving in our church for years and years and had been involved in Substance Moms and had been involved in Connect Groups and had been involved in a creative writing groups and like just an incredible leader in our church. Now that person on, is on staff and now that leader is our kids pastor, Jonna Madel. Yeah, she's over here. For those of you who know her, she is filled with God's spirit. She is filled with the spirit of creativity and she's got skills. And her kids, I am telling you, her kids are filled with God's spirit. They hear from the Lord. They are prayer warriors. They are leading and serving in our kids' ministry right now. And I'm telling you, they are going to be the next generation of leaders in this church. But I'm telling you this, God brought her to mind because I prayed. Because I prayed and I was listening. And it just made me like, what other insights am I missing? Why am I so stressed out? Why am I worried and anxious and fearful and exhausted when, God, you have provision for me? You don't call us and then say, good luck, figure it out, enjoy the stress. But that's how we act. God called me to this, but I'm just so stressed. You know what I mean? And I just, I just ah, you know. We do that with our kids. We do that with our family. We do that with our career, with our job, in our relationships. God has provision for us. So let's go back now to the book of Acts. We're going to read to the next chapter, Acts chapter 10. And what's crazy is God does the same thing again. Like God gives another street address and we see the same thing happening. There's two people who are praying. So we've got two characters in the story, Acts chapter 10. We've got Cornelius as our first character and he's praying. And scripture actually says it was his habit. It's what he did every day. Here's what I love about Cornelius. Cornelius believed in God. But he did not know the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the name by which we are saved. So he believed in God, prayed to God, but did not know Jesus Christ. And scripture says he prayed to God and was generous to the poor. Well, as he's praying, as he's in his habit of praying, the discipline of praying, an angel of the Lord shows up. Gives him a name, a street address, and crazy details. Listen to what he says. He says, hey, Cornelius, I want you to send some men to the city of Joppa. I want you to summon a man there named Simon Peter. 
He's staying with a guy named Simon who's a tanner who lives by the seashore. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, the details, okay? So Cornelius obeys and does this. Now, the second character, Simon Peter, in this story is in Joppa and is indeed staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the seashore. And he is praying. And it, scripture actually says in Acts chapter 10, it was his habit. It was what he was doing. He was praying. So as he's praying, the Lord gives him a vision. And in this vision, he, he doesn't even know what it means. He's, he's actually like, Lord, what does this mean? And as he's pondering this vision he gets, all of a sudden he hears Cornelius' men show up at the house. And the Holy Spirit says to Peter, go. Go with them without any hesitation. Don't worry. I have sent them. Clear, just clear instructions. Go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I've sent them. It's the coolest story. So Peter goes to the home of Cornelius and starts preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he is preaching, of course, Cornelius has his whole family there. The whole room during the sermon literally gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And they start speaking in tongues. Like, it's the coolest story. Like, I just, there wasn't an altar call. There wasn't, like, let's lay hands on you. Like, there was no keyboards, like, working on, you know. Like, he's just preaching about Jesus. Like, Jesus loves you. He is so amazing. Let me tell you about his life and his death and what he, he provides for us a way to God for eternity. Whew. The Holy Spirit falls. Well, then Peter and his friends are like, well, this has never happened like this before with Gentiles. This is kind of exciting. And so they're like, let's go. Let's get you guys baptized. So they get them baptized. And what's so powerful about this story is this is the shift in the early church where now God made it so abundantly clear, his plan from all along for Jews and Gentiles to know Jesus Christ, to experience the Holy Spirit, and to walk in faith. And so listen, you and I are here today because of this story. But this story happened because two people were praying. Peter was praying and listening and was obedient. Cornelius was praying, listening, and obedient. Let's not take for granted the consistent habits of prayer. God really wants to give us direction. And I just believe, just like we just heard, he wants an adventure for us. Like, I hope you hear the adventure in this story. Like, I mean, I think it's just so crazy that to reach the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10... He needed a leader. And so what does he do in Acts chapter 9? He makes it clear. Saul, who becomes Paul, he's going to be the leader that's going to really teach Gentiles how to follow me and how to follow my ways and how to engage in Scripture. And I just love that, you know, before the Gentiles even receive the Holy Spirit, God is preparing and calling a leader. Do you see the adventure? Do you see the big picture? Do you see what God's doing? Like, I don't know about you, but it makes me want to, like, stress less. Pray more and get on the adventure. Like, God, what miracles do you have for me today? Who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want to heal today? That's the God that we serve. Listen, God wants this to be so normal. This is what it would be like. Oh, Carolyn, so you have a need right now? Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Champlin near the roundabout. Yep, the one that's right off of um, Highway 610. And right over there, there's a blue house. And I want you to look for a girl named Vicki. She's going to help you. And you'll know it's her because Vicky is staying at Jennifer, the hairstylist's house. I mean, that's what happened in Acts chapter 10. Like, that'd be kind of weird. Like, okay, the roundabout. Some, most of you don't even know how to drive around roundabouts. You know what I mean? So you got to figure that out, right? And then, you know, I got to drive on a roundabout in Minnesota? Okay, yes, you do. Um, 
But once you figure it out, good job. Like, you can do it. It's amazing. But let's, like, can we just see how weird this is? This is weird, and yet God wants to make this normal. He did it in Acts chapter 9. He did it in Acts chapter 10. This isn't just a one-time example. The question remains, are we praying? Are we listening? Recently, I read the story of Glenn Perkins. It's actually written, the story is written in the book called My Glimpse of Eternity by Betty Malls. And Glenn is in the 1930s, and he's living in a small town in Indiana. It's during the Great Depression. At the time, Glenn just sensed that he had this call and this desire to be in full-time ministry. But it's the 1930s, it's the Great Depression, he's in a small town, Indiana, and so he's like, I'm, I'm just thankful to have a job right now. But he noted and he wrote this down and he said, but if I want God to put me and place me in full-time ministry, then I need to be willing to inconveniently obey him when he asks me to do something strange or inconvenient. Like, I just need to be willing to obey. Well, one night, of course, during a snowstorm, he woke up out of a deep sleep and he just had this strong urge, this strong sense to pray. Of course, he thought, is that really you, God? And he just went right back to bed and, you know, mumbled a few prayers, tried falling back asleep, but he couldn't fall back asleep. He just tossed and turned, tossed and turned. Have you ever had that experience to you where you're like, ah, I just need more sleep, but God's calling you to pray. And then he's like, well, what if God really needs me to wake up? What could God possibly need me to do in the middle of the night? But the moment he just started praying, he's still laying in bed, he just felt this really strong impression. Go into town, go down to Main Street, the west side of Terre Haute, Indiana, because there is someone there who desperately needs me. And again, his next thought is like, it's not really you, God. Like, this has got to be my, you know, imagination. I mean, there's a snowstorm going on. It's cold. Who would be outside in the middle of the night on a night like tonight? But he thought, okay, I'm going to get out of bed. And he got down on his knees and he just prayed. And again, said, God, is this you? And immediately, the words of a worship song, a hymn, popped into his head. And this is what he heard. It was, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. And I just love that. Like, uh, that's a little odd in the middle of the night. A hymn comes to mind, lyrics. Listen, that's why we worship. Worship is based off of scripture. It's God's heart. I don't know about you, but I listen to so much worship all the time. I wake up every morning and there are worship lyrics that are in my spirit that like leap out at me. And that's like my, my alarm clock's going off and then worship lyrics are like reminding me, you're gonna make it today. You know what I mean? Like, I'm with you, God's here, you know. Um, maybe I just have a hard time waking up every morning. But I love that, you guys. That's why we worship. We sing God's word. We sing scripture so that we can, and, and melodies are so easy to remember I love that God brought a worship hymn to his heart. So he took a deep breath, bundled up in all of his winter gear, put his jacket, boots, hat, scarf, gloves, and he started heading downtown. And of course, it's awkward. You know, he's heading downtown and he's like, how am I even supposed to know who? And like, what if there's multiple people? Like, this is just so weird, God. Like, okay, I'm obeying, but this is weird. As he starts going downtown, it's like lonely. There's nobody there. It's the middle of the night. It's a snowstorm. And all of a sudden, he sees one lonely man standing there by a lamppost with his head down. So he thought, okay, this must be the guy. So he literally prayed for protection. Like, Lord, I just pray that you'd protect me. And then he went up to him. And he's like, hey there, what you doing? I mean, it's a snowstorm in the middle of the night. Do you need any help? Love that. After a brief pause, the man just looked at him, must have seen some kindness in his eyes, and just started gushing. And he just said, you know, honestly, my wife and I have just had a huge fight. 
I can't provide for my family. I have tried and I've tried and I've tried. I cannot find a job. In truth, I'm just useless. I'm worthless. And the only decision I have left to make is how to end my life. And so I, I can either lay in front of the morning train here or I do have a gun in my pocket that I could use. And so, you know, in fact, he actually, he's like, I know for sure I'm going to end my life. And then he looks at, at Glenn and he said, what would you do if you were me? Well, Glenn's taking this all in and he's just kind of like, uh, well, um, if it were me, I would turn my life over to almighty God who loves me and who's promised to provide all my needs. After a short conversation, the man tearfully knelt down in the snow, surrendered his life to Jesus. They had an incredible time of prayer and then they just continued their conversation. And of course, Glenn made sure that the guy wasn't gonna go home and, and end his life. But he gave his life to Jesus and he decided, I'm gonna trust that this God that you're telling me about will orchestrate my life, does have a plan and a purpose for me. Listen, God is still telling us to go. He is still speaking. But I love, let's look back at Acts chapter 9, verse 13. It's right after God gives Ananias the street address. What does Ananias do? God's instructions are clear. Ananias starts making excuses. The Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who come on, call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. <laughs> I love it. Just simple. God didn't rationalize with him. God didn't argue with him. He just said, go. Once again, your comfort zone is the greatest enemy to God's miracle zone. I think as we look at this, this conversation that God had with Ananias, we see a few things. God gave him a strategic discomfort. But God's instructions were clear. They were not hazy, they were not confusing, they were not shame-filled, they were not murky. Like listen, God never condemns us. He never gives us a hazy feeling of unworthiness. That's the difference between conviction, hearing God's voice and hearing the Holy Spirit clearly versus condemnation, which is the devil who's always whispering to you, you could never do that. You're not good enough. Do you know what you did? You're so unworthy. Oh my word. Like rehearsing your failures, accusations, the past, confusion, shame. That's condemnation. That's the lies of the enemy, the devil. Conviction is always clear. You need to call so-and-so right now. Invite them to your small group. You need to pray right now for so-and-so. It's clear. Hey, you need to work out, and you're actually going to feel better if you work out. Like, clear. God's instructions are always clear. However, the discomfort part of the equation is also so important for us. Because let's be honest, like, if it was comfortable, I don't think the Lord would actually have to say it. Right? I mean, like... I don't need the Lord to tell me to go to sleep. I love sleeping, right? I don't need the Lord to tell me, like, to wear sweatpants. Like, I love wearing my sweatpants. You know what I mean? Like, that's comfortable, right? If the Lord said, Carolyn, I need you to go shopping right now at the Mall of America for my glory. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm in. Like, I'm in. Count me in. Like, I will shop for your glory. I will build a team. We will cast vision. We will recruit. You know what I mean? Because shopping is comfortable, and I'm really good at it. Like, I've got the skills to shop. I think too many skills, but you know. <laughs> Listen, there's that discomfort that he's calling us to. But the moment God says, Carolyn, I want you to give an uncomfortable amount of money to that person that you're irritated with right now. Suddenly we're like, is that really you, God? Like, no, 
like that's just a weird thought. Why would I be generous to someone who's hurt me? Like why would I be generous to someone who's made assumptions and conclusions about me? Like that's not even a good boundary. My gosh, you know, like true story, a couple years ago. Sermon on forgiveness. We're in that spot at the sermon where it's like, Lord, speak to me. What's my next step? I had forgiven this person and forgiven this person and wrote it in my journal over and over and over again. But I knew all of a sudden out of nowhere, the Lord was like, I want you to bless that person with a big chunk of money. It was very uncomfortable. I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I need that money elsewhere. I could bless someone who's actually nice. I could bless someone who's kind. Like, why do I have to bless someone who's mean and rude? It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about what that person did or what I perceived they did. It was what God wanted to do in me. And the minute I did it, the minute I sent them money, and just said, hey, God told me to bless you. I just want to bless you. It did such a healing work in my heart. The freedom, the healing, the release that generosity and obedience has. So today I just want to end with a simple question. It's this, what, where is God saying go to you? What's that nudge you feel when you pray? And I want you to look for that area of strategic discomfort. For some of you, God would actually say right now, slow down your career and log more hours with your kids. Could you make less money? Perhaps. But God is saying it's strategic. For others, God would say, hey, you need to prune your schedule. You think you can have and do it all? You think you can do it? You can't. I see your future, it's not, you're not on the right path. I need you to prune it. For some of you, it might be, hey, you need to get your kids on a sleep schedule. And it might be like, oh, I don't believe in sleep schedules for my kids. Like, just, if the Lord's telling you, do it. Like, God's got miracles ahead of you. He's got miracles, he's got life for you. For others of us, it's like, listen, go serve in kids ministry right now. Just do it. Like, you get to be a part of forming the future generation of leaders that are going to run this country, they're going to run this city, they're going to run this world. Like, they're in our kids ministry right now. They're in our youth ministry right now. You want to have influence and you want God to use your gifts? Pour it, invest it into the next generation. Or for some of you that go is, would you just think and go to the connect group? You hear them talk about it every week. You're kind of annoyed. In fact, you're leaving church early so that Carolyn doesn't ask you which small group you're going to. I see you. I know you guys are sneaking out. Listen, some of you, you just need to go to Alpha. You just need to go to Freedom. And I don't want to hear from you. I've been at Substance for, you know, 25 years, even though we're only 19 years old. But some of you say that to me, you know, like, I, I'm OG. Like, I don't need. None of us have arrived in our faith. We all need healing and freedom. And maybe God wants to use you to be the Ananias today, to go to that small group and lay hands on people and help people walk in freedom. Or maybe you're here today in your soul and you've got blinders and there's scales on your eyes and you just need to pray. And God is gonna send someone to help you see, to see Jesus, to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Listen, God's got blessings for you and the people in your group. You know, when my husband Peter and I planted substance, there were millions of things we could have questioned. But God, like, our kids are little. Do you know how hard it is to do it when your kids are toddlers? Like, no. Or we only know six people in the Twin Cities. Like, how is that even possible to, to plant a church when you only know six people? And God, there are certainly warmer places we could live than Minnesota. You know? Did you know, God, that only 1%, I'm just going to quote stats at God. Did you know that only 1% of church plants survive? So why would you call us to plant a church when they don't typically survive? But God, my kids have free tuition at a private school in Wisconsin. Why would we give that up? 
I think all of us can get lost thinking, but God, what about this? What about that? But church, don't allow your comfort zone to crowd out your miracle zone. I am telling you, the outcome will change generations. The outcome will change generations. To go where you've never gone, you have to do what you've never done. So let's allow these scriptures to mess with us, to transform us. These stories today, that let's, it's a call to more prayer. It's a call to more listening. It's a call to even greater obedience, to go, to surrender and submit to God's strategic discomfort for our lives. So let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I just thank you that it is living, it is active, it is alive. And I thank you that you want to transform us, you want to correct us, you want to teach us, you want to instruct us in the way we should go. I know we want to instruct us in the way we should go, but, but your word instructs us in the way we should go. You are in the business of revealing yourself. Would you reveal yourself to each of us today? We desperately need more of you fresh revelation of who you are. Would you surprise us? The adventure that you have for us, Lord, I just thank you that every one of us can be a part of a miracle as we seek you. Lord, I just thank you for the healing work that you want to do, not just in this church, but in this city, in this region, in this world. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church? All right, hey, at this time, we're going to have our campus pastors come up. They're going to tell us where we're going to go next. And we're going to worship, and we're going to respond to what God is saying to us.